Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is the other thing I do. My guest this week is Ramona Barkert, a writer and producer whose credits include Degrassi The Next Generation, for which she won a Canadian Screen Award, as well as Winging It and Winona Earp, the feature film At Home By Myself With You, and the brand-new triptych thriller Ordinary Days, which is playing theatrically right now in Toronto, Halifax, and Edmonton. Ramona picked Can You Ever Forgive Me, Marielle Heller's recent biopic starring Melissa McCarthy as Lee Israel, a best-selling New York biographer who found a very lucrative side hustle in the early 90s as a forger of literary correspondence from the likes of Dorothy Parker and Noel Coward. Richard E. Grant plays Jack Hawk, her cheerfully dissolute enabler and accomplice, and it's a warm, almost affectionate look at a couple of misanthropic petty criminals— That contradiction, along with McCarthy and Grant's wonderful Oscar-nominated performances, makes this film ripe for rediscovery now that it's available on disc because we all know you didn't see it when it played theatrically last fall. Also, apologies in advance for both the construction noises and the rain on this one. We tried to work around it. This is someone else's movie. What made you choose it? Um, Well, it's a movie I watched, which is always a good starting point. Um, I don't quite understand why I can always binge watch 10 episodes of TV in two days, but sometimes it's challenging to get through a full movie. I find myself kind of nodding off, but I did get through this movie. um, And, you know, as soon as I had heard about it, and just a side note, I knew nothing about Lee Israel prior to this movie. I did not read the book. Um, I know nothing outside of what is presented in this movie, so I am not an expert and have done no further research. So it's really just um, the movie itself, which I loved. Um, But I knew I wanted to see it right away. Um, I love stories about scams. Generally, I am interested in them. Um, Not the ones where people, like, lose their houses and um, terrible things happen, but the ones that are kind of fun and, you know, um, end up having a good sort of moral uh, ending to them. Um, uh, you know, Melissa McCarthy is always a draw for me. I love most of her stuff, even her broader comedy, which is, can be terrible and gross and, you know, not for everyone. I, I just find her to be, um, such an appealing human actor, mm-hmm. um, especially in her drama, uh, that she always kind of finds no matter how much of an a-hole she's being, how awful, disgusting there's always this layer of like oh there's a real person with a real pulse underneath that so I always like to watch her stuff um the fact that it was uh you know female creative team behind it was a big um draw for me as well and then you know and ultimately I'm just like a huge sucker for a writer protagonist character um I find that they're you know they're challenging stories it's it's hard to tell stories about a writer because you know, writers are people who sit in a room by themselves and stare at a wall and can be not the most dynamic um, or dramatic process. Yeah. Um, so, a lot, yeah, like, you know, so a lot of films that are about writers, I find that are, um, they end up kind of going into freaky deaky land a little bit, just try to, you know, um, dramatize the, dramatize process, the yeah. process or the, the mindset that um, writer, you know, the Barton Fink, um, what was the one with um, Will Ferrell? realizes he's a character oh, in Emma Thompson. Yeah, Stranger Than is... I was like, Stranger True, whatever, yeah. yeah. But realizes he's a character in her novel and kind of confronts her, which is, it's all, you know, they always kind of go into that freaky-deaky thing, which is can be awesome and super fun. Um, so there's, there's, you know, I just really, like, felt that this movie was a very, like, honest, grounded depiction of a writer at a certain point in their career. That is not something we see very often. Um, yeah. You know, depicting the the crippling doubt, the loneliness, the anti-socialism, you know, the anger, you know, all that stuff really felt really, um, not that I'm like that at all, but I feel <laughs> like, that, you know, it's hard to dramatize that. Um, stories about writers tend to be also, they're a writer, and that's their occupation, but it's not really, like, the story is like a romantic comedy, or it's, right. the story's about something totally different. Where Yeah, well, it's, it's every Woody Allen film where you never see yeah. the work. Yeah, you, you never see... see the, yeah, coffee shops and walking and... And you never barely get that interior, and I understand that, because it's hard to, to show on a screen. It makes great novels and, you know, first-person narratives and stuff like that, but it's hard to do that filmically mm-hmm. in a way that's really doing justice to it. Um, 
so that uh, that was kind of the draw for me was this movie was just kind of it had a couple of different elements to it and, and then it being about a writer and I felt like oh I feel like this is really about a writer and what a writer's life was like and I I could dig in and you know I was I was happy that it was out there in the world and and I could see it did you see it theatrically? Did you actually catch it? I didn't. It I'm the worst because... Well, nobody did, so don't feel nobody bad. Nobody did, but but I knew it was coming out. I was, had such high awareness of it. I was telling people, I'm, this movie's going to be... I'm definitely going to see it. I think it's going to be really cool. Never saw it. Like, weeks of being myself. Like, why, why don't I go see this movie? And then I saw it on a plane, of all okay. things, and... Um, and then got to the end. It was like, this is embarrassing. I'm a little, I'm a little teary-eyed in the middle of the play. I didn't think it would kind of... Um, be as emotional for me but clearly I have some issues um <laughs> but yeah so I saw it on a plane and then thought it was great and then watched it again um after on iTunes when it came out and read the screenplay um just to kind of dig into it a little more and just figure out the mechanics of it I think it's a brilliant screenplay yeah um, I would agree I think they just and again I never read the book so I, don't, I can't even comment on whether it's a great adaptation of the book um I just think it's a really you know, it's one of these stories that's so small. Mm-hmm. You know, like the moves are small. There aren't like mind blowing twists, even though there's a scam being run. Like it's all very small, and all the beats are really small. But for her characterization, for her character, everything feels huge. Like every move she has to make is like painful, and like she feels like such a you know, it's, she's making these strong choices. But when you look at the global thing, you think it was kind of small and and not that big of a deal. But because her characterization and the the show is so strong that you feel you're with her yeah. on that journey. Yeah, the stakes are ultimately pretty marginal. Very. Except for so their life tiny. or death, right? Yeah. Because she needs to eat. And, yeah, absolutely. And the the beats as it plays out are the stuff with the cat and as it doesn't really go where we think it's going to go. Yeah. It, I mean, it does, but it, it doesn't. I, we're going to end up spoiling things. So That's fine. Don't, don't okay. Worry about <laughs> Great. But, but yeah, it's... Um, I had read the book. Okay. Way back. I mean, I don't even remember when. It was in the 90s I assume Mm -hmm. it was a long time ago right Uh, and I remember when I heard the film was being made I was like okay I'm not reading again I'm not going to revisit it I just want to see if the film can stand on its own I I try not to source material stuff when I can and want to see the movie as the movie wants to present itself to me right on Um, but it was okay I can I had a weird experience watching it uh, in that it was one of the films I think it's fair to say uh, at TIFF we uh, now we get um, uh, cover consideration screenings where okay. occasionally studios will reach out to us and say do you want to watch this movie maybe put the person on the cover and I've interviewed Melissa McCarthy in the past and she's great and uh, Glenn and Sumi uh, my, my editor and I were both invited to like basically our own screening of the film Amazing. in the Lightbox Theater 1 so just this giant screen big room yeah. and unfortunately we all knew including Fox Searchlights people that it was a long shot just because we were really close to deadlines and had to pull the trigger on a bunch of stuff Okay, and didn't end up going with it uh, and now I kind of feel like we should have because yeah. we both really liked the movie Yeah, but it was one of those things that it's one of those movies that needs to sit with you for a while and I think if we'd seen it even two days earlier mm. it would have built up enough momentum in oh, our hearts interesting yeah. yeah I think it's such you know it's I find it it's so it feels like a 90s movie to me yeah oh, you know the, the, like the it feels like a movie that of... would never be made today and yeah. yet it was you know like I, I, I the, the strength of the characters and like this it's just this two-hander essentially mm-hmm. between two characters and you know and like I said all these little tiny moves and it's like you don't really get these stories anymore and so I think a movie like this really flies under the radar and yeah. you know thankfully Melissa McCarthy's a big star and so it draws its attention and it gets pulled into Oscar campaigns um, thankfully because Rightly I feel so, like yeah. yeah no like I just feel like you know it's one of those movies like I, I would love to write a movie like this because it, it does sort of depict um, this, the smallness of life but like you know it feels so huge to the, the characters that you just kind of get drawn into it yeah um, I think part of that too is that you've got in Lee Israel you have a character who is you know known for biographical detail in her obsessive research mm-hmm. but who is utterly oblivious to the way people see her and the way other people are. I mean it, what does it take her three or four encounters with, with um, Grant's character before she figures out he's homeless Yeah, because she's just yeah. not paying attention she just doesn't care yeah. she doesn't care about other yeah. people she, it's interesting it's because she is observant and you see so many instances of, instances of her being smart mm-hmm. um, 
and and doing you know like she's the whole thing with the toilet paper in the bathroom being yeah. like you know it, it, she's observant about the things that piss her off but not yeah. too yeah. observant but then there are all these lovely moments like with her landlord's mom she's like you know your hair looks lovely today and I brought you some milk you were out of it and you just sort of feel glimpses into the real human good person underneath that has been you know weighed down by all these other horrible character you know character traits and flaws that she has yeah. but it kind of glimpses in there and it's funny you mentioned the cat because I have, I have theories about this cat and that story I feel like it's actually the cat has an arc mm-hmm. and it's actually this is I totally made up shadow plot of Lee's story like okay. I feel like you know we meet the cat the cat's not eating the cat's shitting under the bed and drawing flies yeah the cat is not itself the cat needs medicine the medicine kind of helps for a bit, but it's it's only a Band-Aid solution. The cat has to die. And I feel like the, that whole thing is just mirroring Lee, you know, going through life, putting, you know, Band-Aid solutions on things. Like, she's never going to break through, even though she comes up with this great scheme and it gets her, it's it gets her so far. It gets her to pay some of her bills and it gets her, you know, you know, it gets her some pride. It's like she can't ever say, this is me, I did yeah. it, you know, it's all just under the, cou- this, you know, um, you know, couched under, it's not me, it's someone else, and I feel like this cat plot is just, uh, that's the brilliance of the screenplay for me, is that the cat is like, you know, this sounds crazy, I know, but like, to tell an interior story of a writer and how they're trying to articulate life and create and put it out there, and whether or not they can take ownership of all that is is it's very hard to dramatize. Sure, it's hard to make plot. It's hard to make story. And I feel like this cat's, you know, obviously she loves the cat, and she is very sad when the cat dies. But the cat actually has to die for Lee to live. You know, like, that's yeah. kind of how I feel about it. Like, you know, it's awful, but that you know she needs to break free from the things that are have kept her back. Um, yeah, it's just one more routine that she's created for herself. Yeah, it's one more ex- excuse, and she thinks, like, you know, there's um, tons of great scenes with the Jack character, um, but she makes a bit of money, and he's like, I sold some coke, so I got some money, so what are we going to do? And she's like, no, 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 I'm noble. My money's for my cat, and it's for my house, and it's for my food, and and he's just, like, all id, right? Like He's like, well, we should go out to the bar and have yeah. fun, and she she almost can't allow herself to enjoy success you know like she's that's kind of seems like her thing it's like you have to kind of take ownership and and want success um so i just think that you know there's just like so many moments along the way of that and and how that's depicted and it all builds to something um which is one of my favorite things that can never happen in a movie is that in the failure in her greatest failure which is getting caught Mm -hmm. Um, comes her success like the only way she could ever succeed is to fail at the end of the story so like even though it's horrible and you know she gets caught and charged and you know basically gets a slap on the wrist which is also an interesting um, aspect to it that's the only way it could happen for her if she didn't if she didn't do that if that didn't happen she would never be able to break out of her old ways and to try something new and face up to who she really is and what she wants to write Um, And she writes this amazing book, which is like, you know, which is a great thing. And obviously it's a true story. So it's kind of, um, but I think it's really, that's why I love, like, I love the the ending where a character, like it all blows up, you know, like they don't get away with it. It doesn't work out. And it seems like the hugest error. And from that, they get the thing that they needed all along and what they should have, you know, been striving for. But without it, they wouldn't get it. So I think, yeah. Yeah, and you have the, you know, first of all, there's the, the beautiful constant narrative irony of her being told she has to write in her own voice, embracing someone else's entirely, then finding out she can do it for all sorts of voices. Yeah. And then ultimately, yeah, returning to her And being so good own. at it, you know, her being so good at it. And, you know, she's like, I'm more Dorothy Parker than Dorothy Parker. Like, I'm better at her than anybody. Yeah. Which is, of course, exactly what an arrogant narcissist would say. Yeah, and then Jack's like, yeah, but you can't take credit for it. It's not you. No one gives a shit what you did. Like, they think it's Dorothy Parker, so is that satisfying? And that's always an interesting thing for a writer to, you know, and things that I've always kind of, you know, how close to personal do you get when you write your stories? Mm -hmm. Like, I want to write stories that people want to go see. Um, 
But if it's always just what I think people want to see and it doesn't come from a genuine place, it's it doesn't work, you know? And so I over my career, I've, like, you know, moved closer to the that. Like, I, you know, I, I always am wondering, like, is this, you know, it's not just that it's relatable, but that it comes from a genuine place and can be relatable because, you know, it's part of you um, and what stories you want to tell. Yeah, it's a contradiction I've never fully worked out myself either. The idea that if you tell something so specific, it becomes universal, that people will embrace it. But I've also seen plenty of movies where this is just my story and I don't have any outer perspective. And yeah, it, I think that's right. what it is, right? You need to be able to find the point where the author comes through. Yeah honestly uh but also somehow acknowledges the rest of the world and i've never figured out who can do that and who can't like whit stillman's early films which should be impenetrable because they're about this cloistered world of wealthy you know upper west siders upper east siders i think he's on the east side these days but um i i shouldn't care about those people and yet every time he makes me even through that light satirical veneer he makes me care about them um uh, this is another one you, you said it feels like a 90s movie it absolutely does but it also replicates the 90s perfectly mm-hmm. like that's I was in I went to New York for the first time in 92 that's I was there like <laughs> it's bizarre how close it is yeah it's really fantastic um, and there's lots of great choices to you know production design wise like the musical choices which I at first I was like oh this is a lot of piano yeah um, it just it just makes it feel of a time, you know, and mm-hmm. obviously her look is something very specific. Um, and also just like the fact of like, I guess, yes, there are people who collect and pay money for letters that Noel Coward and Dorothy Parker wrote mm-hmm. back in the day. Um, but even that distance too, I'm like, I can't like, what, what, what is equivalent today of that? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like, it's John like Grisham's a... texts, like, to his niece. Like, I don't know what, if that exists now. Like, is yeah. that just a, yeah, in so making those letters that people do find much more valuable, I guess. But um, yeah. I'm just like, what is the collector equivalent of that? Yeah, it's like a Funko sign. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I was trying to figure that out. It, it captures, not only does it capture that aspect of it, but also the means by which she was caught, right? Like mm-hmm. the, the faxes. The faxes. You're like, whoa. The, there was still enough time and the world wasn't so connected that yeah. you could get away with something like yeah. this. Because now you just post something on the net and it's discredited in seconds. Yeah. But there was a window and mm-hmm. she was the only person who really took advantage or, or who was smart enough to take advantage of all smart the stuff that was there. Smart enough to take advantage of it. And, you know, she was just so good. Like, the, yeah. like I said, she's, she's making such smart choices, too. I'm like, the whole thing where she can't replicate the signature. Oh, yeah, yeah. And she's getting frustrated and she looks over and she turns her TV over and puts a light on it. Um, just like all these little, little moves of her being smart. And I think that's another thing, too. It's like, yes, she's a good writer, but it's hard to, it's hard to, dramatized good writer she's a brilliant writer like mm. people say it and yeah, she it says always... it and you're like i guess i believe it but it's hard to actually depict that but i think the choice is to make her make these smart um and the thing that jack gives her where it's like you know i he's a shoplifter but he never just shoplifts the box of toothpaste he takes the old toothpaste into the store replaces it takes the new one but yeah. so no one knows anything's missing it's like those kind of smart choices um which also tells us so much about him mm-hmm, absolutely the, and, the yeah. item that he's using and the, like yeah, that's how he functions with necessities yeah like it's toothpaste yeah. you know no one should be you, you know buying toothpaste for 89 cents <laughs> and if you think about it for two seconds it's like oh he's not even it's not a great grift. Yeah. It's, it's a functional It's a grift. functional thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But it's beautiful the way that all those things are just sort of... They're not even layered in. They're just left right out for us. And yeah. We, and we're we're enjoying the company of these characters so much that we just sort of pass past it. Yeah. And don't even think twice about the mechanics that are involved. On, on second viewing, just the fact that she goes back to the same three bookstores and that there's... Her world is really that limited. Yeah. In New York, in, yeah, like which is where you're supposed to be able to get and do anything. My thing is like, there's more than one person doing that. I don't know. I'm just yeah. like, I guess I don't know. It's back in the day when there was like a million different small bookstores and yeah, they weren't yeah. all connected and exactly, and um, it's all gone now. That yeah. whole world has been it's so sad. <laughs> I know, I know. There were, I mean, I remember the first time I went for any length of time. I was there for a week in '95, so yeah. I was 26, 27. Yeah. Uh, I somehow, this is such a weird story. I, w- I was doing a press junket, a series of junkets. So I was on five junkets in six days, I think. Okay. So it was, um, I apologize to the listeners for the construction noises. Sorry. I, didn't, I was I, like, can they hear that? 
<laughs> some of it will be there, yes. All right. Um, but I was in, I did the junket for, let me think, 12 Monkeys, Mr. Holland's Opus, um, Tom and Huck, the Jonathan Taylor Thomas movie. The 90s, man. Yeah, it was a, it was a That's time. That's crazy. Uh, oh, Restoration, a Miramax film with Robert Downey Jr. Oh, okay. and Samuel and Meg Ryan. Oh, and the fifth one was Nixon. Okay. The oh my God. So yeah, I was just, I was a freelancer. <laughs> the variety. Yeah, it was one of those things where it's like, I calculated how many interviews I could sell based on how many nights it would cost to stay there and ah, all that. Yes, and the flights that and, math. Yeah. yeah. And, and it was totally worth it. But I also had, because of the, the timing, I had like 24 hours with nothing and just got to wander around between. Oh, okay. And that's, there were 10 of everything. There were small bookstores on... Not just in every neighborhood, but on every corner of every neighborhood. Yeah. You could wander around. Like Greenwich Village had three in close proximity, and yeah. then you would go to the east side. There yeah. were all these rare bookstores that had the first editions of everything that, that she walks past at one point. And it was a constant churn. Like that, If you were constantly finding things, you could sell them every yeah, day. Yeah. It was, again, it's gone now, because we have eBay and Etsy. <laughs> but it's that perfect recreation of a world that isn't there anymore and it was only 20 odd years ago it's yeah really... i know it's a bit it's when it says it doesn't feel like it's that short back in time like yeah 91 i'm like oh it's like nothing and I'm like oh my god it's so long ago the world has changed so much yeah. and like this is a story that can never happen today um i'm sure there are versions of this story that happen um yeah you know fraud, the, the, the instagram influencer pretends she went to coachella but she's just sort of like faking sure, <laughs> photos yeah. the whole time um gets caught like you know, in two seconds because it's so obvious. Um, God, that's a new movie. Yeah, I, there's so many great ones though. There, the internet is, has opened up the world of scam <laughs> quite a. Um... We feel as as spectators, we feel the, the incredible thrill of watching the elastic band. I know it's snap. so bad. <laughs> and I, I think it is. It's horrible. Yeah, it's, it's an awful. It's awful. That we're all yeah, I don't. Of. I don't particularly like it when people blow up their lives like that. Um, but I do enjoy the story <laughs> of how they did it. Yeah. And, you know, with, you know, this movie, I was like, I, again, it's like she ultimately learned something specific. You know, a bunch of rich, rich people maybe didn't, you yeah. know, got ripped off. I mean, well, that's unfortunate. It, right? It's but unfortunate it, that they lost a couple thousand dollars because they bought a letter that was fake. Um, but it is ultimately <laughs> but, oh, as well. close to a victimless crime, <laughs> right? Is. In a story, in a film, in a story that makes it into a movie. Mm-hmm. It's, it's one bold. of those things where it's just like, yeah, you didn't actually stab anybody. Yeah, you actually didn't. Yeah, she, and it's not like she's victimizing, you know, you know, impoverished people or people who are... It's a very specific... Um, and you can see the derision she has when she goes into the party, her agent's party at the beginning, yeah, yeah, and yeah. she steals the coat. And she's just like, that's my coat, I don't have a ticket. And she runs out, she's like, haha, like, and, you know, steals the shrimp or whatever. Um, and all that, like, that bit about Tom Clancy. Just, yeah. It is just... There's so much good comedy in it that you don't realize it's hilarious until later because it's so understated. But, mm. um, you yeah. know, she just really doesn't... She doesn't have any patience for, um, you know, the elite because uh, she knows she's never going to be that person. Right. Um, Even though she's writing biographies about them. I mean, Yeah, that's, that's true. It's another contradiction, right? I, I just assume that it's because she spent all that time learning about these people that she's decided she hates them. Right. Interesting. And that she's entitled to... Literally, like that's what she's doing in yeah. the party. She's going into the rich people's world and taking what she wants and leaving, which is how she wrote her books. Mm-hmm. And it all kind of makes sense. There's this core of entitlement to her because she's talented, mm-hmm. because she believes that she is talented and has been deprived of success for whatever reason. And the sexism is absolutely part of it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's great that that they got Jane Curtin to play that role as yeah. well because she has to be the the sort of hatchet woman for the patriarchy yep. and for the for the entire structure of New York publishing. Yep. Uh, and it is someone who spent her entire career defining herself as a strong female lead and a comedian who could do anything yep. and never quite had the, success, the same level of success that her Saturday Night Live co-stars had. It's interesting because when she popped up in this movie, I was like, oh! Yeah, where have you great. been? Like, you. this is yeah. awesome! And she's so good in the role. And then... You're right. Like, you think about it after, like, I don't know, what else? you know, like, I'm yeah. sure there's been stuff along the way, but nothing that's, like, popped in the way that, um, you know, she, someone of her caliber should be. Yeah, she spent years in a supporting role on 30 Rock from the Sun, I think. Yeah. Which, then, you know, I'm sure it pays the bills, but. Yeah, it's you crazy. See her in but you don't see her out developing and, like, producing and, like, doing all these things, which is why Melissa McCarthy is awesome, is because she just does what, I feel like she, whether you like her comedies or not, 
she's no one's telling her what to do. Like yeah. she's just doing it because she wants to. You know, like I think that's something to admire, and I I think you know it's it's great. To, you know, there's the other thing I was going to say is there's also the ageism thing, which she she talks about a little bit. She mentions in it, um, but that scene when she goes into her agent's office. And her agent's like, you know, nobody gives a shit about Fanny Bryce. You can't write that. Mm. Um, you know, Tom Clancy's on Larry King. He does every interview. He shows up. He's personable. And, you know, she leaves like, oh, God, like, get me out of this. And the, the third, you know, and her, she's like, you're not you're not popping the way you should. Um, and Lee's thing is like, I'm 51 years old. Like, I'm, it's over. Like, I'm never, you know, I can't go back. Like, and I think there's a certain sadness to that. Um that she feels like she can't reinvent, you know? And I think in the 90s that maybe for women was like, you can't reinvent and, and hope that's one good thing about, you know, we lost all our used uh, rare bookstores, but, yeah. you know, I think, you know, a writer of 51 could maybe reinvent in, in, a, in a meaningful way, um, hopefully, yeah. nowadays. Um, but it just, she just feels like most of her life just passed her by and she can't start over. She can only live in you know what she knows yeah she's um, built this suit of armor for herself yeah and you know even being friends getting a new friend with jack which is a you know fantastic is very hard for her and she she doesn't trust him yeah she's affectionate in a wary way yeah but also like so mean but you know and i think that the writer thing is like writers are weird sure. on occasion and have weird thoughts it could be quite mean i think um because they're observing the world in a kind of through a different lens in a way and um you know the one thing a writer always helps is like i hope i find a friend who thinks like me like that's like the, you yeah. know that can, i can say these awful things to you or i can be super honest with or i can make this terrible joke and it's going to be okay and you just see the relief as like she knows he's accepting you know all her terribleness um uh and and loving it you know yeah. and, and someone she can have fun with um well, and then her cat dies on his watch which is terrible <laughs> I get but, it. She's mad. <laughs> but not his fault in a, in a really, like, genuinely sad way. Yeah, it's awful. And that we see him yeah. trying. Yeah. And he hasn't tried at anything. No, no, absolutely. He's taking care of the cat. There's clearly a scene where he's like, oh, yep, great. Yeah. Fed, got the medicine. We were, we we're all waiting for the scene where he gets, you know, like, careless and knocks it over because that's <laughs> right. what Lee's told us to expect. Right. And that's what everything we've seen in his behavior has taught mm -hmm. us to expect. Yeah, he's irresponsible. He doesn't know what's going mm -hmm. on. He has no plan. He has no, like, you know, he's yeah. dumb. That felt like a Hall of Center moment. Yeah. Of, of, of all the moments in the script yeah. that I felt were definitely hers, yeah. there's that, and then there's the exchange, there's the date that, that goes so mm. specifically wrong. Yeah. So what you're saying, that feels like her moment in the moment where he... That feels like a writer thinking about right. what is the thing that people don't want Expect. to happen, yeah. and I will make it happen. Yeah. Uh, and it's that we don't want, we do want him to fuck up, because that's... That would make it a more palatable, normal story that we already think we want to see. Yeah. But by having him do it right. try and fail, it's actually or try succeed and yep. still lose the cat. It's genuinely painful for everybody right. because because it's inevitable in that way, right? It yeah. wasn't someone made a mistake. It's just it was the cat was going to be ever back at the cat, but like yeah. the cat had to die. You know, the cat was dying the whole time. Yeah. You know, um, that's even more of a second act. Uh, end of second act tragedy than her getting caught yeah right like it, the bigger loss is yeah. is the loss of the friendship that results from the loss of the cat or at yeah. least the, the fracturing of it yeah and it's because like, I think it really lands because he was trying yeah and that makes it awful yeah because he doesn't try at anything else. <laughs> and he's literally just got he's got like a guy over and he's yeah. doing a bunch of drugs you know he's barely functioning and still manages to take care of the the, the one the thing, cat yeah, yeah. Um, which you know is great and it makes that their breakup so much harder. What's the what the thing you're gonna make say about the date? The, oh, the date that just doesn't work. That, oh, with uh, the that, um bookseller. With the bookseller woman. Boom, boom. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She's sympathetic. I, she's trying. Yeah, she's trying so hard. And it just doesn't land. And I, I think that's part of it is because Lee sees herself as too old for her and won't let herself mm -hmm. open up all the way. Another part of it is because she's hiding a million things. Yeah, but is it just, that she knows already? Like, this is untenable because. We started. I started lying. Like a, the minute I saw you, I was lying. Yeah, you know. I think so too. But I think but she she thinks it could work, and then you just you're just like yeah, just torpedo the whole thing. Yeah, you just you watch. I think what what's so riveting about the sequence for me is that I'm watching McCarthy play 
the decision to tank it. Yeah. And it just is sort of floating around behind her eyes. And then there's that <laughs> so moment good. of just like, Ehh. yeah. Yeah. Because I've never, because once you find out that, and it's the whole, like, if you find out the truth about me, it's never going to work. Yeah. Without the whole scam thing, I've been pulling on you because I'm just not worthy. You know, yeah. I'm just not good enough. And it's that awful crushing. I also wonder if it's how, also, there's part of me that's like, well, she gives her her writing. <laughs> this is like, you know, writers tend to get asked to read things sure. all the time. And I feel like there's a moment where she's like, uh, I'm going to have to read this. Like, yeah. Um, I love her line read of when the, she says, oh, I write some short stories. And, um, you know, I don't know why I told you that. It's probably awful. And she's like, yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> she's just like, it's just brutal, brutal stuff. But it's great. It's so funny. Yeah. And it she, also tells us why she's never succeeded. Like as a public figure, because she just can't. She can't. She's just not that nice. Like yeah. she just isn't. And she doesn't respect Tom Clancy, no. which is you know, <laughs> totally reasonable. <laughs> I think that's the first time she does say right. It is in the film that he just he was just that it's like lists of equipment and things. Yeah, Yeah, he's just like a right wing military. Yeah, he just yeah. like lists things. Yeah. Which is all true. <laughs> I mean, I was, I was around for that. I remember the initial, like the whole, they made a selling point out of it. I, I've always been fascinated by this. Like the whole point of Red October as a book was that it was a sensation, A, because it was a Cold War thriller, right, when we needed one, but also because all the stuff in it about submarines was accurate and classified. Oh and he just found out by writing into like, Jane's ships and various defense departments. They're sending things. him like schematics, and he's like, "Oh, okay." Effectively, yeah. <laughs> oh, but that's why everybody loved the the, the story of him writing it. Yeah. Like he was a real estate agent who just found out about this and turned it into a book, and the yeah. book turned out to be great. It's like, if I was Lee Israel, I'd be pissed too. I'd yeah, say, that's annoying. It's annoying. <laughs> yeah, because she's doing the same thing, right? Like research yeah. and getting no rewards whatsoever. Yeah. It's a, and like all her, yeah. It's like buying the separate typewriters huh. and like the the paper and like getting the watermark or the the header the specific oh, the Dorothy part yeah. stationary header and all that stuff and and that's a great you know again it's like you see her doing the research doing the work being smart about it um, and you kind of like no wonder it works like she really put in the effort um, to make it awesome and it's successful it's, it's so great and there's just so many shots of Melissa McCarthy's face where she just goes through like. 50 different things like standing there waiting in line to like talk oh, yeah. to there's like a shot of her on the subway like kind of you know mouthing like the thing that she's gonna say to the thing you know the person and again these are all tiny tiny things you know this isn't like this massive move you know beats that are happening it's just these all these small small moments that build up and her monologue at the end um to the judge where she's like i don't really regret it yeah, <laughs> I kind of had it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I was really good at it, you know. And then her summation and the lawyers like, "What the hell? Are you this is not." Yeah. And then her summation, but I would say it's not worth it. It's just like you know, it, she, she's like, "I feel like I'm not a good writer," which is when I'm like, "Oh God, you know, <laughs> don't say that out loud. That's a I don't let's pretend that never happened." Um, but coming to the the end of it and being like, "But it, and it wasn't worth it." And then the kicker of the judge being like, "Well." I f- you figured it out. You're fine. House arrest. Pay your, you know, restitution yeah. if you get the out. And she's like, okay. And the lawyer's like, yay, we did it. She's like, ah, like I can't even get like punished correctly. Yeah. <laughs> it's so terrible. Like I didn't even get to go to jail. Like that, yeah, would, you know, that would have been something. Experience of it. To yeah. Think, like I just story. want notoriety for the thing I did, and she can't. You know, it's just she can't get it. It's just kind of interesting. Um, but then she writes her awesome book and gets maybe made it better so yeah <laughs> it all works out <laughs> it does all work out decades in, in, later <laughs> in exactly the worst way because she can't see it she's not alive yeah. to see it yeah. um and yeah it's just it's not an ironic film right like it's no. not about someone failing upward or trying to trick the world i mean she does but she doesn't do it on purpose exactly and it's all just sort of there's no moment where yeah as you say there's no moment where she gets to enjoy yeah the fruits of her labor it's yeah. just when the rent gets paid that's all yeah there's a moment when jack takes her to the the um the piano bar mm-hmm. and like there's just a shot of her watching and enjoying the music and we you've seen her enjoying music you know specific music um throughout the movie and you know it feels like that's a moment where she finally gets to kind of enjoy you know they get to go to kind of a fancy bar and she gets dressed up and they have a really great time and but it's small small 
Yeah. It doesn't last. It doesn't last. Yeah, and they still um, go home alone, effectively. Yeah, they still go home alone, and, you know, there's lots of... Um, but it's this tiny, tiny moment. And that final shot of the movie with the... Where she sees the... I think it's the Dorothy Parker letter in yeah. the window, and it's the one she wrote, and then the, she kind of, you know, asks how much it costs, and like thousands of dollars and it puts doubt in the bookseller's mind that well, she's authentic. trying to get him yeah. to take it out of the window yeah um and he takes it out and she leaves and he thinks about it and then he puts it back in the window it's kind of like oh I, i'm just like are those letters still floating around out yeah. there lee israel i think so <laughs> well it's an indictment of the larger culture right because yeah. ultimately this thing she did it it was supposed matter. to be so horrible no one cares if yeah. you, you can make a buck off of yeah, it yeah absolutely if it's, it's authentic she wrote it yeah you it's want something. it you want it to be real. You want right? it to like, be real, you, yeah. If you are, and that's again, that's the idea of the con, right? You, you can only lose if you delude yourself into thinking that this thing is too that's too good to be true might not be. Yeah. That it might be the real, you know, it sounds just like her. Well, you wouldn't say that if you thought it was her, right? right? Like it's yeah, just yeah, yeah, absolutely. That little seed in there, yeah, that pulls on people. But if you know. It's, yeah, it's interesting. It's an interesting con because it's literally—it's not really hurting anyone. Yeah. Um, and some collectors like, well, even if it's not, exactly. it's cool. Like Feels I really like Dorothy Parker, and it's funny, and why not? You know, I have the money to yeah. pay for it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nobody, nobody else is losing their house for lack of rent, right? Like she's yeah. the only one at risk, and it's the classic heist structure where we get to watch the thing happen the construction and we get to take part in the, yeah. the joy of pulling off a really good thing yeah. even if it's illegal or, or fraudulent it's still kind of cool yeah and the tension of her going to Yale and being like I'm writing a book about writers and alcoholism yeah. and like just simply slipping the letter in and out of her boot and all that stuff it's, it's just like the fun and games of that and you get it doesn't feel um you don't feel gross about it because you're like, oh, I kind of want her to get away with it, yeah, you know? Yeah, you absolutely do. Because you've been with her for so long going through so many terrible things. and um, yeah. yeah. And that's McCarthy's quality as an actor, too, where um, in, you know, in the in the the breakout roles, she's larger than life and obnoxious, and there's no way you'd want to be around this person in real life. Right. But in the, in the context of, I'm watching this person and enjoying the hell out of it. Yeah. Absolutely. She's so good at that. She yeah. she welcomes us into bad behavior, and here it's she's doing the same thing, right? But she's contextualized it in a human way, yeah. where it's all based on uh, need and neurosis, and and whatever other resentments are going on, we're on her side before she ever does anything wrong. Absolutely. Because a she's the star of the movie, but, but yeah. <laughs> b she has that ability to. Yeah, but she walks that line, right? Where yeah. it's, she's awful and terrible and mean and an asshole and then you know she kind of like softens her eyes and looks really sad and you're like ah yeah she always lets us see the why of it yeah which is amazing yeah i think she's fantastic she should have won an oscar yeah i'm kind (laughs) of sad i mean i'm glad olivia coleman won over over lots of good performances oh yeah now now i'm starting to sound like a dick it's like glenn close (laughs) is better than that movie yeah it's not her fault but yeah that's not the rule. The, the yeah. whole idea that someone is due, right? That's yeah. so exhausting. It's so exhausting. And it's always like, particularly with female roles, is that when you have a year where there's like multiple amazing female roles, and then a year where it's not that there's great, two, and yeah. it's a struggle, and you're like, I don't know why so-and-so won a role for that not great role. Um, it's really hard. And I feel like last year was one of those years where there was multiple um, actresses that had amazing roles yeah, and some yeah. a lot of the times that's what it is it's the roles and you know when you get a great actress in there they're just killing it and you know they're gonna kill it and unfortunately so did eight other people this year <laughs> so it's hard yeah. but i was glad to kind of see this movie in the you know we get there's always a lot of conversation about female directors not kind of being um in that conversation for awards consideration and you know the counter argument is always oh well, they're not making the kind of movies that kind of warrant it or are of a certain, you know, level, um, which is, it. you know, my my thing is like, but someone's making choices mm. about, you know, you know, an Oscar campaign is a strategy. It's got money. It's got um, tons of stuff and a complete machine behind it. Right. Like this yeah. is something that um, is very strategic. And someone at some level is making a choice about which movie they're going to back and what performances they're going to back. So I was, you know, even though this movie flew under the radar um, to a certain extent, 
I was kind of glad to see, you know, is it Marielle? Is that how you pronounce it? I think it's Marielle. She was kind of in the mix of some of those conversations and obviously the Oscar nomination for the screenplay. And, um, you know, I feel like you got They got to make choices. And if they're going to back the movie, then it's going to get, you know, warrant those nominations and, mm-hmm. and everything. So I was glad to kind of see that. That made me happy. Yeah. Because it's not a movie that's like loud and, you know, um, drawing a lot of attention it's very low-key and you know again it's a small small movie but it warrants you know um the craft is there yeah yeah. um, on so many levels it's yeah it's a movie about a feeling rather than an event so it's harder to sell on Mm -hmm. that level um but it contains worlds it's it's about stuff it's about so many things even at the end i was worried that folding in the uh the aids crisis would be a problem just because we know where that's going. Yeah. Uh, but then I found out that there's an entire generation that didn't know about it. Right. That wasn't expecting, that was genuinely shocked. And a few younger critics were like, oh, and I didn't realize that was, you know, like. That was what was going on. I didn't know that's yeah. what was going. And it's like, are you. And then I realized they missed it. Yes. Yeah. Like, we're in a place it's, now where yeah. HIV is Again, just not a 20 sentence, years ago, right? and somehow yeah. a whole generation of people are like, oh, yeah, that was, I guess that was bad. Like, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, like, it's crazy. It's stunning that you can move that quickly culturally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess it's a good thing, generally, that we're... I mean, obviously, it's a good thing for people with HIV, yeah. but, but the, the culturally, that people are forgetting collectively what was going on. Yeah. And it, was like, it was everywhere, not just yeah. in the news, but culturally. Yeah. And so it's good that it's over, but it's bizarre that... I, I just find it so strange that people are being shocked by it yeah. uh, in this yeah. film. And yet it's played with... Uh, there's absolutely no question of Jack's sexuality or yep. who he is or what he's doing. Mm-hmm. From scene to scene, it's not like it's right there in plain sight unless you don't know what you're looking at. Yeah. But it's so beautifully presented and not condescended to in the movie. Yeah, as a, absolutely. Like, he's just a guy with bad judgment. Yeah. And we know, like, if you know the story, if you know the era, we know where that's going to end up. But yeah. it doesn't feel like it's. Um, mandated narratively yeah it's just yeah of course this happened to him yeah and it's also like lee's response to him and his you know you know liaisons and when he comes and he's all beat up and he's like oh i don't know whatever he says and she's like i'm not gonna pretend to even understand what you're doing but whatever you know like she's not judging him for any of it and and anything other than a friendly like joshing um you know leeway um and then at the end she's She's like, I was gonna trip you, you know. <laughs> He's walking. I like, it's just such a beautiful, um, you know. There's no, she's not crying. There's no like, oh my god, I'm sorry, you're dying. It's just, it's they are themselves, yeah, through and through in every scene that they're in, um, right to the bitter edge, you know. And the moment where he gives her permission to write about him, yeah. Um, she's like, I've written five chapters or whatever she says. She's like, well, I've already done it, so you know, like it's it's so it's it's just a really really lovely. Um, back and forth between them. Um, yeah, uh, I'm so I was so glad to see Grant get recognized for it absolutely. as well because it is like if you've followed his work as as I absolutely have since the Withnal days, it's just like he is a delight from start to finish. And I was worried that people would just say, "Oh, that's a fun eccentric performance from him," and not realize just you know where he's going and what he's doing mm-hmm. with that character. And at least he got the nomination out of it. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, now he's in fantastic. Star Wars, and I don't know how that works but that's wait the which Star Wars he's in the it? next one he's in Nine? the Rise of Skywalker yeah oh my god no it'll be great it'll be great I hope he's a droid I don't know why <laughs> I want him to be C-3PO's cranky brother just, maybe he'll just take over for C-3PO maybe they're putting C-3PO Anthony out Daniels to retirement yeah I guess Richard E. Grant could fit in the suit but it's, <laughs> it's just one of those you want to see his face though you yeah I do yeah, it's true. Eyes, yeah. It's what they missed in Solo with Phoebe Waller-Bridge being a motion control character. Yeah, yeah. Motion capture. You miss a lot there. Yeah. yeah. But it's just, it's the kind of pairing, too, that, I mean, I believe he was not originally, well, you know the story, right? It wasn't going to be McCarthy. Yeah. It wasn't going to be Heller. Originally, it was going to be Hollow Center directing Julianne Moore. Um, Moore says that Hollow Center fired her a week before the production was supposed to start. Oh she goodness. told Vanity Fair on Julia. Julian Moore told Vanity Fair, she fired me. Uh, and here's the other thing. She was going to be doing it with Chris O'Dowd, which I'm still trying to wrap my head around. Yeah, that's a bit crazy. Yeah. He's so I, young. He is. I think he's got to be a decade younger than Grant, maybe even more. He's, uh, for those of you trying to figure out who Chris O'Dowd is listening, he was the love interest in Bridesmaids yeah. and all things. Uh, Mostly a comedic his, actor, yeah. but 
there's lots of comedy in the role. And yeah, I'm sure I mean, he's pretty strong otherwise. But he could have done it, I'm sure. But yeah, Grant is so good at it. I know. Uh, so it's so hard to even picture someone else doing it. Yeah. So the project fell apart after Moore left. Right. And then. Uh, there was probably lots of financing. Scheduling, timing, and, yeah. and searchlight all led to Holofsen are not being able to do it when they mounted it the second time. Supposedly, she wanted Heller oh, to amazing. take it. And Heller does has spoken about it. Uh, I know at TIFF she said that like she wouldn't have done it if Holofsen didn't want her to do it. Amazing. And then Heller hired Grant, who okay. didn't meet McCarthy until a week before they were going to I think shoot. I saw that, that McCarthy came on really late, which is mind-blowing. Yeah. Well, she's making three other features at the time or something? Because she just, <laughs> that Life of the Party came out in right. May of last year, and I think she was shooting this when that came out. They were still finishing it. Okay. It was a really quick turnaround. Yeah. Um, which, again, makes it even more impressive that there's a consistent character and, and performance in there. Yeah. Well, I'm sure she probably took it on because there were, she felt close to it and probably felt she had confidence to do it. Again, I feel like Melissa McCarthy's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think I don't think she hesitates very much. <laughs> no, I think she makes choices and goes and does it. You know. Yeah, it's I, amazing. I, I met her when she came to TIFF on the St. Vincent Press. Year. Oh yeah, and another she great, said, yeah, performance great performance. From her, yeah, and she said the trick for that was that she had to. How did she put it? She said her instinct. Everybody's instinct when they meet Bill Murray is that they want to impress him and they want to overdo it. And then she just had to realize she had to just take it down. Yep. And not, she said, Oh, I just want to show you my trick, Bill. I want to show you the one thing I know I can do. And right. it's like, I'm not doing that. Just do the act. Yeah. Very smart. Yeah, she is. She's just, she talked about, we, we spoke at length about how important it was to her that she and, and Ben Falcone, her husband steer themselves. Like yep. they want to be the ones making the movies. He shows up in this. Of course. Yeah, he does. absolutely. It's, he does. It's, Marvelous. He's such a dick to her. Yeah. <laughs> he ruins everything. And somehow it's okay because <laughs> yeah. we know they don't really mean it. Yeah, I, exactly. That's that one yeah. weird moment where it becomes a Melissa McCarthy movie because yeah. this guy's in it. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. Uh, to the point where now they're getting it out of the way. In Life of the Party. Have you seen Life of the Party? Uh, is that the one? The one I want to see it. Is it worth seeing? The Back to School one. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. I wanted to see it because I, I feel like it would be hilarious and like... It's you know, pretty. It's you don't pretty really fun. have to think too much, but yeah, yeah. He, he's in that as well. He directed it, but mm-hmm. he's in it. He and at this point now they're just getting a cameo out of the way right up top, like Hitchcock. <laughs> right. He plays her Uber driver in the first Amazing. scene or something. And it's just like okay, cool. Uh, but yeah, you like spot the Ben, ben Falcone. I think basically it's easier moment. now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if he shows up, wastes the camera, and moves on. But it's it's a there's a comfort she has with him mm-hmm. where. They're almost always mean to each other on screen, which I find absolutely delightful, and I really hope never means they break up. Yes, exactly. That'll ruin everything. Yeah, that would time. ruin it. I feel like they just get it out of their system when they're doing those scenes, and yeah, it feels like they're so happy, <laughs> so happy with each other at home because they got it out of the way. Yeah, yeah. it's it's um, and having him in in Can You Forgive Me does kind of put the film into her larger canon and, yeah. and her, her um... which is kind of crazy because if she just joined like very close to the actual production yeah like she still managed to get her husband in the movie it's yeah. kind of a baller move like she still managed to pull that off because clearly that was a role in the movie prior to her involvement yeah I think it just makes her more comfortable uh, knowing that they're both there but I wonder if she's like, by the way, this is how it's going to be. And they're just like, okay. Yeah. Although, again, for it. that role, why wouldn't you hire him? He's absolutely, the, absolutely. He's the guy I just want. feel like that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> of her to be like, yeah, okay, I'll do it. But yeah, it's a it's a means of um, not control exactly. Like it's a means of perpetuating a legend. Yes. So they yeah. Always, they're always yeah. together somewhere. Yeah, her legacy is protected. Yeah. <laughs> but it is such a oh. Yeah, even if this was the only time she'd done a dramatic role, she just nails it so yeah. well. She's she finds she there is that thing that comedians always seem inclined to do, which is just pour on the pathos. Yeah. And you know, whenever Jim Carrey is doing a dramatic role, with the sole exception of, of Eternal Sunshine, yeah. he just goes he tilts into it. Mm-hmm. You can always feel where they're trying too hard to just show us. Um or or they do what, you know, like Steve Carell's thing where he shuts himself down because he's in a drama and Somehow that trend, like it's yeah, serious it's performance, weird. but it, it yeah. embodies seriousness. Yeah, I'm Ma- serious now. Yeah, yeah. With McCarthy's skill, I think is that she really just convinces us that she doesn't care how we take the performance, yeah. and yeah. and that's why Lee Israel's perfect for. Yeah, her. yeah. Well, it's it's you know her performance in Bridesmaids as well is very broad, and you know she's meant to be the the 
weird one. Yeah. And she goes to the, like, off, and then has a scene where she says the theme of the whole movie, which is like, I like myself. And you're just like, oh, we, yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's just such a bold thing for that kind of character to say. It's like, you know, I like myself, and if you don't like me, then you're not on my team, you're not on my team, I'm on my team, you know? And it's just, from that particular performance on, that's what she's taken into everything. It's like, this is what I'm doing. Yeah. You know, you don't yeah. have to like it, but I like me, you know? And I think this is, that's why her performance in Can You Ever Forgive Me is so great, because no underneath there, somewhere... <laughs> is the the thing that she should be you yeah. know and then you just have to go through all this hell and watch her kind of make a bunch of mistakes and be you know um the awfulness that she is but she gets there kind of at the end you know yeah also my favorite moment in the movie is when she sits at her typewriter this is after her scene with her agent who's like go fucking write something and she sits down she's like can you swear on this i don't know sure um she she sits there she's at her typewriter she's you know um nothing's coming and then she starts typing we're like oh she's gonna she's gonna write something great and then there's a shot of the thing and she's like i'm sitting down to fucking type this is me sitting down to fucking type and i've done that yes i've done that i phased the blank page or that blinking cursor a million times and i'm just like i hate everything but this is a sentence that i'm writing right now and i'm just like i relate to that it's you know i'm sure everyone who has to write something ever can relate to that but i just like that kind of thing is you know again it's this is a writer this is a story about a writer um which is so i think it's a rare thing to be able to do um but so well done in this movie um from all angles yeah it's honest in a way that movies about writers almost never are in in that it is boring and dull and unrewarding and and i don't know anybody who likes the experience of typing (laughs) yes not a single person has ever said i had the best time writing this it's the i love that i've done this now yeah after the fact yeah. or those times when you don't remember actually doing it and it's over and you're like oh yeah oh I wrote that okay great <laughs> so glad <Woof. laughs> I don't know where I went but it's yeah. done I don't have a good. lot of those I wish I could unlock that skill because yeah. I it's, assume it, I'd get more done yeah. that's the thing it's like no matter what, how much writing you do you could always do more and be more productive like, I could be writing all day and still be like, why haven't I written three feature film screenplays in the last year? I had time. Yeah. I had lots of time. Yeah. And I just didn't do it. And it's sort of, it's kind of depressing. You have all these tweets now. Yeah. All these tweets That's and right. texts about who's picking the kids up where. Like, there's a whole <laughs> novel in my phone. And I don't know. Like, I spent some time typing. It wasn't anything, you know, I could sell, unfortunately. Um, but I did it. Yeah. It's really the accomplishment. It's- <laughs> The fact that, that sense any, of accomplishment. Yeah, the fact that any of us can put any words down in order at all, I find absolutely stunning. Like, Mind how up. did we figure this out? And why, I don't know. Why did I draw pictures? I feel like it? I could have drawn a bit better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the um, the obvious question then is is in terms of um, your own work. Like, is it as stressful? Is it as like uh, if if this film resonates with you? Is yeah. it that same level all the um, time? Or? I sometimes I related to a lot of things in this movie in terms of the struggle to sit down at the blank page, um, and and you know the the sense of like is this a thing that people like I like this, but again like what we talked about is mm-hmm. like is this a thing that can then you know help me you know viably live you know. Yeah. Um, how long can I go between making money doing this and not making money doing this before I just can't do this anymore? Yeah. Um, and so that that's the parts that resonated with me. Um, I, you know, and I think, again, I've had moments where I've been antisocial and not up for whatever has to be done, you know, but I'm learning to be better at it. And, you know, watching this movie, it's like, uh, you know, the agent does kind of have a point that you've got to show up and you got to be, you know, you have to be able to talk about your work. I didn't, for a long time, I was like, I don't, I don't want to talk about my work. I just, uh, you know, Lee says, it's like, but I, I'm doing my job. I'm writing. Why do I have to show up for the thing? Um, why do I have to show up? for the? Yeah, <laughs> I did yeah. the thing. It's already out there. Um, so that sense of like, my job is to write, my job is in this other thing and coming to terms with the fact that it's the whole thing. As an artist, you have to 
be able to do all the things, um, which makes it challenging because there's, you know, 100% of the things that you have to do and you only really care about a small percentage of those things or you only feel that you're good. Yeah. I'm like really bad at the other stuff, but I know I think I can do this and, you know, that's what I related to her. It's it's easier now um, only because it does feel like I kind of know what I have to do. Right. You develop the muscle. I developed the, the muscle and the, you know, the the reflex of like, I got to do it. You know, I've had enough, I've been in production enough on TV shows where there's 150 people waiting for the pages. Um, you have to give them something, you know, and so I carry that into feature work, um, but there is more of a workman-like um, attitude I bring to it. Um, but there are still stories that I have that I know I must write them. And I just cannot, you know, <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I'm up a certain age at a certain point of my career. I'm just like, I don't know. Like, I don't know if it's going to happen. Um, uh, so, you know, it's, it's that ongoing, that ongoing um, struggle. So it's, it's slightly easier at this point in my career, but it's not, I don't think I would be uh, okay if it was just chill and super easy. Like, I, I feel yeah. like that would be unsatisfying. And um, so that it's a challenge and it's hard and. You know, there's always um, insecurities and uncertainties. Uh, I think it's part of it. It's just part of it. It's part of the game, you know, yeah. in a way. That's a horrible game. It's yeah. a horrible game. It's I the just, worst. I know. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I always try to keep myself out of this in, in terms of when I talk to other writers. Because yeah. it's not, I don't do the same thing. But there is a point where it's just like, I would really rather do anything else than yeah. meet this deadline whatever yeah. it is and I will I'm amazed at what I can come up with yeah. uh, to distract myself but I know it's not healthy yeah. and you just get stuck in this feedback loop of yep. your own brain and yep. it's just like I do this every day why is it hard now? Why is it hard today? Yeah. Like what changed yeah. from yesterday? It's not I'm like not... there's something really good on TV Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The world hasn't changed but yeah. I can't get going And then you feel bad and that makes you feel worse and then, if, and then you can't write <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a struggle. It's it's uh, it always is, and I, you know, I think you just I, for me, it's like I just need to be patient with myself. Like I know I will probably blow deadlines, um, <clears throat> but like, give me a deadline. Like that's the thing with like you know, if people are like, well, when do you think you can have it in? I'm like, you tell me. Yeah, I'm gonna write it the night before. Yeah, we <laughs> probably all, we all will. But I will, you know. I'll give it to you. Right. <laughs> but you need to tell me because if you give me the, if you give me the choice, you're not getting, you're not getting it. Um, yeah, exactly. There, you know, <laughs> I will take as much time as humanly possible. Uh, so you need to tell me. <laughs> That's kind of my. <laughs> I feel that. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I have the advantage of writing for a weekly, so there's always the same deadline over yeah. and over again, and I yeah. can I can work around it or to it. But yeah, yeah it's just. I mean, I'm I'm a, at least writing in a reactive mode. I'm processing something and talking about it. You have to create things. Create it, yeah. That seems more intimidating. So. Yeah, it is. And you also know what's coming, which is a million people with opinions about it. Mm. Um, valuable opinions. Um, logical mm -hmm. opinions. Yeah, like, uh, you know, logistical opinions. They're <laughs> all, you know, if the goal is to produce something, to shoot it and produce it and have people see it, it's not just whatever comes out of my head. There's a million other considerations, things that um, have to be decided and affect the story and affect the writing. Um, so it's that skill as well, you know? Like, I can kind of come up with stuff and be like, okay, cool, and then someone's like, I don't understand this. This is, makes no sound. I'm like, but... <laughs> But yeah. I it's all it there. It made sense to me when I did it. Yeah. This is not shootable. I'm like, what? <laughs> the big tsunami? What? You can't CG shoot that? <laughs> we have all the special effects. Yeah, we can't yeah. shoot it. Like, well, as far as Ordinary Days goes, mm -hmm. I mean, that couldn't have been an easy sell. It's, like, it's a triptych for people who haven't seen it. It's, it's mm -hmm. three separated stories that are the same narrative, yeah. uh, directed each directed by a different director. Mm -hmm. And the, the miracle of it to me is that tonally it is one piece. Mm -hmm. And... and it manages to build suspense by pivoting away from suspense, like it by, yeah. by keeping by keeping <laughs> well by keeping yeah. the main thrust of the story in the background. We're yeah. always worried about it, but it doesn't dominate the way that a thriller is mm -hmm. supposed to, which makes it feel even stranger, which makes it more involving. Like yeah, 
uh, my, my copy editor just pushed back when I said that there's an absence that grows more involving. And it's like, well, it does. <laughs> You just, they're just, like, wait, what does that mean? Yeah. But you're right. It, 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 and that's the ordinary days of it is that this whole thing is happening. You don't know exactly what's happening. But people are just still kind of like cleaning the oven and like, you know, going to the ultrasounds. And yeah. like, that's it. It feels like, why where, why are they doing that? And But you don't know what's happened, yeah. you know? And so you're just kind of going along hoping for the best and that this worry or this nagging anxiety is going to go away. It's going to get released because she's going to call, you know? And yeah. that's sort of the the trick of it a little bit. Yeah. And um, was that easy to convey to people? I, mean, um, to- I think so. There's there's kind of two pieces to it. Was that I wrote this as a sample, a spec um, a script, because I wanted to try some stuff. Like, mm-hmm. it was really like, let me work out how this could be um, with the, the idea that it was um, to be low budget um, kind of film and shootable and um and and never at any point until we kind of decided to make it was there a conversation about three directors um so it it was i think the three directors which is is was kind of the thing that people were like oh okay you know and in canada it's very hard for directors to kind of um make feature films it can be really challenging for them to get into the the system as it were i'm sure you know a lot about that um so this is a way for three directors to to kind of to make a feature film together without owning a whole feature film um so it was a a producerial kind of decision that worked um but again like i was there we the aaron hansen the editor edited all three parts Mm -hmm. um we had the same dop throughout same production designer um lots of conversation between the three directors um you know we had tone meetings together i had tone meetings separately with them um i kind of you know was kind of the over (laughs) overlord of the thing um knowing that each director has very specific very strong creative choices that they want to make and was working very closely with their sort of specific cast um actors but I was able to kind of, okay, if you do that here, that's going to affect two, that's going to affect three, um, and, and kind of just make sure all that stuff lined up. So it was, it was challenge. It was hard. Yeah. <laughs> three directors is hard. Um, three amazingly talented, strong directors is, is amazing, but also they want to make the best movie possible. And it's sort of, okay, how can they get what they need? How can we all work together in this team like atmosphere? But also they get to put imprint, you know, um, their style and their, you know, you know their artist artistry into it. Um, but somehow we got to make it off and I was like, whew, we did it. Yay. Yeah. Um, but, t- you know, I mean, it was, a, it was a lot and, you know, we shot it in 15 days. Um, there's lots of, you know, things that had to change on the fly and everyone was really nimble and thankfully our crew was kind of up for it and our cast was, you know, really locked in onto their characters so they were able to kind of um, do it. But, like, you know, Jordan did five days in the house. Um, yeah. Chris had five days all over the place, which was hugely challenging. Um, and the crew was like, all of a sudden we're making a police investigation movie in a bunch of different locations. We've been in this house for five days. Yeah. So the crew was kind of like... You know, and our um, cinematographer, cinematographer Mike McLaughlin, you know, you'd be directing with one director and then another director would come in doing the same scene. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he was kind of like, who, where, what's happening? Okay, you know, so everyone had to be really flexible and kind of, but I feel like everyone was up for it by the time we got there. Um, and then, of course, part three, no spoilies, but... No, 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 um, we won't discuss it. Very contained, again, in another five days, shot chronologically. Um, yeah, so it, it was, you know, but again, you have the three directors that just kind of came in and killed it. And, you know, I couldn't ask for, you know, a better effort from everyone. Um, so, yeah. yeah, it was a crazy experience. <laughs> yeah, and... Um, uh, unfortunately breaks the format of the, the podcast a little bit because usually I ask people what the, uh, what of the film that they've absorbed it but your film was made before I right. think before Can You Ever Forgive Me went to yeah. camera yeah so is there anything that you've taken from the film from Can You Ever Forgive Me now that you will use in future or is it more like um, a- I think I think it's more what I take from this you know what I take from this movie is less specific to Ordinary Days and more specific to me personally as a writer which is that um, you know, you kind of have to step up a little bit. You know, I've spent a lot of my career being able to kind of, you know, I've been very lucky. I've worked with 
people who have championed me, you know, and, and I've been able to kind of do a lot of very different kinds of projects. Um, and now I feel like I'm at the place where it's like, okay, now if I can help others as well, um, that's kind of the role I'm kind of moving into. I feel have lots to write myself, but I, you know, it's about kind of looking back in kind of the way, you know, this happened with Morel, like going back and saying, well, who else in the world can, can be pulled up, you know, um, and, and making good choices about who to work with and, and all that. So that's kind of like, I don't want to be Lee. I don't want to be like, oh, it's just me. And like, I'm here and like, you know, I'm just going to be a writer and I should, you know, have everything I want. It, it, it feels like it's a bigger, you know, especially in Canadian film too. Like, I feel like, where are we going? How can we, how can we, you know, improve? Um, so that there's lots of different kinds of movies being made and that audiences are looking to watch and like, how can we all do that? So uh, it's a conversation, you know, Glenn and I've had quite a bit and, and how we can do that. So that's kind of what I took from that. I don't know if that really answered your question specifically, but yeah. I feel like uh, this movie really has inspired me to be like, oh, get out of your head, yeah. <laughs> you know, get out of your head, look around, um, you know, take action. Yeah. Don't be Lee. Yeah. Don't be Lee. It's not going to work. Don't be Jack either. Cause no. it's not healthy no, in the long healthy. run. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, certainly as a what not to do movie. Yeah. What a, not to do. Yeah, exactly. But if you're going to what not to do, it ultimately ended up, uh, you know, writing a best-selling book and get it adapted into an Academy Award nominated movie, then maybe that's fine. Yes. <laughs> if you can, if you can reach that far into the future, um, that might work. But <laughs> that's a good way out. Yeah. <laughs> All right. You don't see that coming until a long ways away. Yeah. But it's um, not like you can bank on a retirement plan or anything. Not. I wouldn't. Yeah. That's. You might want to have some alternates for that, but. Buy low, sell high. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is that what they do? I don't even know. I think that's what they do. Just put now. it under the mattress. <laughs> My thanks to Ramona Barkert, writer and producer of the new movie Ordinary Days, on screens right now in Toronto, Halifax, and Edmonton. It's very good, and you should go see it. It'll be on demand fairly soon, but try to catch it in a theater if you can. Thanks also to Angie Power. She knows what she did. You can find Ramona on Twitter at Ramona Barkert, all one word. And you can find Can You Ever Forgive Me on Blu-ray and DVD from 20th Century Fox Home Entertainment. It's also available on iTunes and Google Play. Oh, and slight correction to the Tom Clancy story, he was an insurance agent, not a realtor. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. If you feel like leaving a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever you enjoy the show, that would be greatly appreciated. Every little bit helps. It truly does. Thanks for your support, and thanks for listening.